All right. Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome back to episode three of Friday with Mooney Lions. I am Jeff Scheider. I'm the investment strategist with Mooney Lions Financial Advisors. Um, just a couple quick uh, housekeeping things. Um, everyone's lines are muted. Um, just me and the speaker uh, will be able to talk. Um, you don't need your camera. This is an audio only recording. Uh, but if you want to show off your smiling face, feel free. Um, and one other quick uh, disclosure, securities are offered through Triad Advisors, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Triad Hybrid Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Mooney Lions Financial Advisors and Triad Advisors, LLC are not affiliated. Now that we have that out of the way, just a reminder, we will have another Friday with Mooney Lions next Friday, um, where we'll dig into some fixed income. And the week after that, uh, we will have Dr. Bill Lloyd on a call. Um, Bill Lloyd is a licensed physician and board certified surgeon and pathologist. Uh, Going to spend a little time digging into COVID um, and some, some other things like that. So uh, keep an eye on your email for those details to follow. Um, but today, we are joined by Andrew Opdyke. He's an economist and a member of the First Trust Economics Team. Um, Bloomberg has ranked them one of the top forecasters of the U.S. economy over the past several years. First Trust, also a, a company we have a great relationship, and they're, they're a local company based uh, uh, right here in Wheaton. So, uh, Andrew, welcome to the call. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, so, we spent our last uh, couple calls talking about um, more, more about the markets than anything. Um, but I want sure. to spend a little time talking uh, about the economy. In, we'll, we'll dig into a few details later, but um, give us your thoughts uh, out of the gate here on, on what you think. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate this opportunity to have this conversation with you. We get to talk with Jeff on an ongoing basis as we have seen things developing before we headed into this, as we progress through this really uncertain, kind of unusual time. And we'll be talking well after, but uh, I appreciate this chance to give you an idea of what the conversation looks like, how we're evaluating this unique situation that's evolving around us. Now, if we step back in time, Let's step back two months ago, and we're in February. Now, in February of this year, if we were looking out the windows, if we were out in the world, the U.S. economy looked very different than it does today. Through January and February, we were growing at about a 3.1% annualized rate. Now, for a little perspective on that, if we had continued to grow at a 3.1% annualized rate throughout the year, that would have turned into the fastest year for economic growth since 2005, since before the last recession. But as we've seen the impacts of the coronavirus as it moved from China to South Korea, Italy, uh, Germany, through Europe, we saw it arrive here in the United States. And I'm uh, here in Wheaton, so not far from you right now. And, and our offices here in Wheaton look out over downtown, and I've watched the impact. I've watched the changes that are happening in the economy, in particular, to small and medium-sized businesses. The window I look out at looks out at basically our main street, and across the street, we have a, a locally-owned pizza shop. we got a toy store, an ice cream store art supplies, bike shop, uh, flowers, and a, and a hardware store. And I, these are businesses that I've been watching for about 10 10 years that I've been up in this spot in the building, 
And and I've watched in the morning as their uh, their their employees come in, they walk through the doors, they prepare for the day. I watch the steady flow of clients kind of coming in and coming out. And over the last four to six weeks, we've seen that change. We've seen first, you know, even before the shelter in place, as people started to hear more and more about the spread of the disease as the concern was rising, we saw more people staying home. And then when we did get the shelter in place, we saw a, you know, a drastic reduction in activity in many parts of the economy. As I was watching out the windows, I saw and I could count on my two hands the number of people we saw walking in the doors of these businesses across the street. And I, I watched as the number of employees. The, the pizza shop that had six people normally coming in in the morning all of a sudden had two. And I watched as some of these shops started to put up signs in their window saying we are closing the, the doors for the time being. We tried to stay open for a bit to serve the community, but now we're going to temporarily close until the shelter in place is lifted. And that's kind of the major hope is that they are closing just temporarily, not more permanently. Now, we, we started off the year strong, that 3.1% that annualized rate of growth. We had an unemployment rate to start the year at 3.5%, at which was the lowest since the 1960s. But this impact in March from the shutdown is drastic to the point where our first quarter growth, which is January, February, March, so those first two months plus one more month, the, the decline in March is enough that it's going to put the first quarter economic growth into negative territory. We will see the first quarter, it looks like it declined at about a three and a half percent pace. Now, the data is, is kind of just starting to come out showing it getting ugly. We've started to see some data on, for example, the employment picture. The initial claims, the number of people filing for unemployment over the past four or five weeks has reached about 25 million people. And we won't get a, a check, we won't know the unemployment rate number, where we're going to be at through this month, which should be the worst. We won't know that until next month, May 8th is when we will get that report, but it looks like the unemployment rate is gonna be somewhere in the 15 to 20% range. And, and based on this economic slowdown that we've seen so far in April, it looks like the second quarter of the year, April, May, June, may see the largest decline in economic activity going back to the Great Depression. But I want to be kind of clear that, that I think that is one of the areas where this, this comparison to the Great Depression, that's where it kind of needs to stop. Because we're in such a unique situation where historically when we've had recessions, there's been a fundamental issue with some area in the economy. We go back to 809. And we had the issues with consumers had extended their leverage. We were purchasing homes that people kind of couldn't afford. The banks were undercapitalized. And when we found out that home prices don't rise forever, when we found that they can move lower, we saw the, the impact. We saw the fallout. There were some bad policies, bad rules in place that stoked that fire. It turned a bonfire into an inferno, and that was a traumatic period. Now, back in the late 1920s when we had the Great Depression, monetary policy, interest rates were overly tight. We saw deflation, something we're not seeing right now. They had tax rates that they were rising, regulation rising, government spending rising, all of which are headwinds to growth. Now, coming into this situation, we had the tax cuts in 2018. We had deregulation in 15, 16, 17 into 18. We did have an issue kind of with government spending. We continue to run deficits. We continue to run up the debt. 
but it's at a manageable level because yes, debt's been rising for the last you know, few decades, but interest rates have been declining since the early 1980s. So our cost to service the debt right now is very manageable. And one of the key differences we had to going back uh, then comparing it to now, and if, if we were talking four, six, 12 months ago, trade would have been a major part of our conversation last year. And now we look back on it and it looks, I mean, how, how minimal does that look now? But we spent the year focused on this China trade war. And it kept getting called a trade war, but I would argue it wasn't a war, it was a skirmish. Back in the late 1920s, we had the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act, and it was a true trade war. It was across countries, it was across products. Last year, we had a dispute with one country against a set of products. But we had made a stage one deal with China. More importantly, last year, we came to new agreements with Canada and Mexico and with Japan. And Canada and Mexico are our number one and number two trade partners. Japan is four, China is number three. So we had made new and improved deals with our four largest trade partners and the United Kingdom, who's just off the end of that, had left the EU at the end of January and we had a new trade deal in the works with them as well. So the fundamentals of the economy were very different coming into this situation than they were back then. The fundamentals back then explained why that went from a recession into a depression. This time around, these companies that I stand in our office right now and I look across the street, they're not shut down. They don't have uh, their employees uh, furloughed or let go or at home because they had a bad business model or because they had bad products or bad services that the employees are not home because they were bad workers. This is really kind of the first time that we've seen a government-induced shutdown, a government-induced recession for health and safety reasons. And, and, and that's kind of been led because the government has two invisible threats that they've been focused on. On one hand, they have this threat of the virus, right? And I would argue this is one of the first real social media viruses that we have had. It's a situation where uh, we're inundated with information. We've never had better access to more information in real time. When I wake up in the morning and I turn off my alarm, which is on my phone, I'm greeted with five to 10 messages from news organizations or uh, businesses or journals talking about the impact, the number of new cases, the spread rates, what countries it's showing up in, where there are shortages at a, even at a local level. We've been inundated with that information and that helps it make it more real, more tangible because we're constantly living it. Now, the other threat is that kind of economic destruction that comes as we shut down in response. And the economy, one of the best ways I think I can describe it is the economy is like a muscle. And, and just like a muscle, which you can build up over time, right? You can work out, you can lift weights, you can eat right, exercise. There's things you can do to intentionally strengthen. The economy grows over time through entrepreneurship, innovation, new technologies, new processes that make us more productive that have grown the United States over time. But, but in both cases, whether it's a muscle or the economy, when it sits and lays dormant for a period of time, it starts to atrophy. We start to see a deterioration in that muscle. Now with the muscle, right, the longer that you let it go unused, 
the more that deterioration, you can ultimately rebuild it back up to where it was and you can build it larger. But the longer it goes, the more painful, the more difficult that process becomes. On the economic side, as we remain shut down, we're seeing the impacts, particularly on small and medium-sized businesses. We're seeing doors shutting from temporary shutdowns to more permanent shutdowns. And each day that we're shut down, that's kind of the trade-off we have. We're fighting one invisible threat and, and the other one is kind of losing in the process. But it's been led to really kind of up to this point by that medical necessity based on the models that said originally we could see 100, 200 million people in the U.S. contract the disease, two to seven million die. So we started to take drastic action because those are drastic numbers. So we started to improve our methods. We started to increase our testing. Beginning of last month, we had less than 1,000 tests done nationally. March 4th, and over the next week, we raised that number to 7,600. Over the next week, it raised to 76,000, and then it was at 470,000. Now we're at about 4.5 million, and we're typically running 150, 200,000 new tests per day. We've ramped up testing. We have 140 drugs in development. 11 of those are in clinical trials including the vaccine that got brought cl to clinical trials about the fastest we've ever seen. We've found drugs that are believed to, that were created for other diseases that appear to be helping with the symptoms and the health outcomes on this one. We've identified that when you get the coronavirus and you body works through it, when you process, you develop antibodies. These antibodies, they stay in your system. They uh, help you to recover, and it's believed they make it less likely that you will recontract the disease. And if you do, it's believed that your symptoms uh, uh, should be less severe and the duration shorter. All of this progress has been taking place, and the models had been reflecting it. Our original estimate that we may see uh, two to seven million deaths started to move lower and lower. It was at 300,000, then 200, then 100, then 80 and 60. Now, don't get me wrong, that every single one of those lives that is lost is tragic. And the impact it's having on families, individuals, communities is devastating. But the, the positive news is that we have been making progress. The cases in the United States look like they've peaked and are moving lower. And it started to shift that conversation from an economic perspective, from what else do we need to do to contain, to what can we do to kind of get things restarted. And that's kind of the point that we are at right now. And it's gonna be, it's gonna vary geographically. Right. It's going to be a little different. Uh, California, Oregon, Washington, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, they say they want to stay closed longer. Here in Illinois, they're extending it. I was a bit surprised, in part because we all know our finances here in Illinois are, are uh, not the best. And, and as this continues to go on, that one of the pieces that they're weighing is the impact that this is having on the state deficit. Right. They need to do things safely. They need to make sure they have systems in place, but that is where companies, where groups are, are coming up with innovative solutions right now to find ways to reopen. For example, a company in Seattle, it's believed to be Amazon, but we can't guarantee it. They will not say officially who it is, but that's where the signs point. They're working with their local health system to get every single one of their, client, or their, their employees tested. Industries like the legal system, could see prioritization, see priority for testing, 
so that we can figure out who can get back. And as, as insurance companies and medical companies get further and further involved, we're going to continue to see new novel ways of kind of getting back to work in a safe fashion because this is the United States. And when our backs are against the wall, we've always fought harder than ever. We've always found innovative new solutions. And I don't think this time is going to be different. So we're, we're going to watch the data. I think April is going to be the worst of it from an economic perspective. We're going to start to see things even out, I believe, a bit in May and start back in that growth path around June. Second half of the year, I think we're going to be in growth. It's going to take us a little while, probably until the end of next year from an economic perspective, to get back to where we were going into this. There are areas, whether that's restaurants and bars or venues, where it's going to take time to get people back safely at the levels that we had before. But the, the good news is that we're now looking at that recovery phase. That's, that's the problem that we're looking at and trying to solve it's not the how much worse can this get. I believe the worst from the, the case standpoint is behind us. And that's part of the conversation that we're having with Jeff. We're watching the data. We're watching the conversations from Washington on down on how this develops. And we're talking with them as we see that progress and the new ideas on, on what this may look like in the weeks and months ahead. All right. But, uh, every, yeah. Let, let, me let, just, me, let me stop there. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just jump in. Um, awesome. That was great. Um, I want to dig into just a couple of subjects, some that are uh, a little more timely right now. Um, sure. People are hearing a lot of talk about. Uh, I, just, I just want to touch on oil briefly. Um, yeah. Energy is a, a very small exposure in our portfolios, but I think it's important we talk about um, just a little bit about what's going on. We saw a little bit of of Saudi Arabia and Russia kind of have a little bit of, a, of an, an oil tiff a few weeks back. And then we saw, you know, futures prices go negative the other day. Um, not that we have the energy exposure, but um, it kind of trickles into everything. If you could just touch on oil for a minute. Yeah, oil's gotten a lot of discussion lately, especially with the futures prices moving lower at the beginning of the week. Oil energy, it's, it's got kind of a, a, a perfect storm going on because not only do we have the situation with Saudi Arabia and Russia adding more supply to the system, but there's reduced demand for energy and gasoline in particular as there's fewer people out traveling, transporting, going back and forth to work. So we saw a, a situation that was a bit similar back in 2014 to 2016 when Saudi Arabia added more to the markets. We saw oil prices then drop from about $100 first down to 40 and ultimately down to 20. It didn't get as low as it did right now. But what they were trying to do then and trying to do now is try to kind of force out and put some pain on their global competitors to cause some of those companies to go under. And we will see that here in the U.S. energy industry. We will see companies with higher leverage ultimately uh, go under. But what we saw back then and what I think will happen again is the companies with the stronger balance sheets will then buy some of their assets uh, at lower costs and then the services they need to operate who those service companies who are now losing some of the contracts they had from companies that go under they offer their services cheaper to to win contracts and we ultimately see break-even costs what it what we can uh, profitably produce at we see that number decline now Saudi Arabia and Russia they depend heavily on oil for their their national budgets uh, Saudi Arabia for example needs eighty five dollars per barrel to to balance their budget they can produce at five to ten dollars they cannot produce at negative or or zero kind of what we saw earlier in the week that was an issue where our supply had filled up 
and, and, and futures were coming due. They were expiring on Tuesday. And if you held them, you had to take possession and people didn't want to take possession because they had nowhere to put it. So they ultimately paid somebody to take it off their hands so they didn't have to deal with accepting and storing the oil. Oil, it, it, we could see it lower for a little while now, but um, you know, energy as a whole from a market's perspective, back in 2014, it was about 10% of the S&P 500. Now it's, it's closer to 3%. It's a smaller portion of the markets. It's a smaller portion of the economy. And there's offsets because declines there help transportation companies and, and chemical companies. So the, the, the time until we get back to oil prices moving to a more sustainable range, I don't think anybody really knows. It may be here for a little bit, but the impact it's going to have on the economy are, are kind of overall, it's kind of minimal. Great. Um, jumping into unemployment, I know you spent some time on it, and, and we'll see here in a couple of weeks what that number probably at its worst will look like. Um, uh, when, with the stimulus package that came through, um, there, there was uh, a bump in unemployment benefits. Um, and, for, mm-hmm. and for some people, that means maybe they're making the same or a little more money than they were when they were working. Um, is, right. is there a concern that it's going to be summer in, uh, in a lot of places and maybe they don't want to go back right away? It, it is. It is a concern. And we've already seen some of that reported from some of the restaurant industries as they have gotten the PPP. So one of the pieces of the stimulus was also for small and medium sized businesses. There was a thing called the Paycheck Protection Program, which was a, a, a loan that they could get to pay their employees, pay their rent, pay their utilities. Um, and if they did use their money for those causes, primarily for employment, then the loan would be forgiven. So some of them qualified for that after sending people home, tried to bring them back so that they could do, you know, the pickup or the delivery or what it was. And because people were earning more, they were taking home more in their paychecks. Being on unemployment, they've had a hard time getting the people to come back to work. So it may slow down the pace at which we see the decline in the unemployment rate. Um, and so it, it's going to be it's going to be one of those secondary issues, secondary problems that arises from the response that we'll have to deal with as we move further down the road. Okay. Um want to just uh, jump across the pond a little bit, um, talk a little bit about the, the international world of investing. Um, you know, China, Spain, Italy, you know, all the countries have been through it and are still in it. Um, and central banks all around the world have done just about everything they can. And they continue to. Um, what, what's your insight on kind of the, uh, the international landscape? As we watch international, one of the major pieces for international historically over time has been the movement of the dollar. Where, where are assets moving to? What, you know, where are people in a risk on, risk off attitude? And typically, if you're in a position where, where people are nervous, if they're avoiding investment, if they're pulling money out of the market, they want to go to safe assets, right? Less volatile. Well, the safest asset in the world is the U.S. Treasury. The U.S. will pay their bills. And so we've seen flows from international out of their markets to the U.S. for that safety. It's pushed the dollar up uh, into this year. And I I think in the intermediate term, the short to intermediate term, until we see confidence return globally, I think there's still going to be a priority placed on the safety of the U.S. markets. Our, Our free market system, our rule of law, our private property rights, and our government system, while it can seem kind of crazy at times, the shenanigans that go on in Washington, the checks and balance, uh, balances that we have with those clashes of, of uh, the, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans, it's doing what it's supposed to do, and it prevents wide swings in policy over time. Our policies here, I believe, are better than they 
they are in most of the international markets. The valuations going into this were more attractive in international, uh, but in terms of when we are likely to see that recognized and realized, I think we need to, to wait until we see a little more confidence return to the markets and start to see those money flows back to international markets. Okay, a couple more things, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, you, you talked on, on this briefly before recession and depression. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think anybody's going to argue that we're not in a recession right now, and the numbers will prove that out here in the next couple quarters. Um, mm-hmm. Not not a depression. It's not the same. Um, what, you want to touch on a little bit? You know, the Fed kind of existed during the Great Depression, um, not like it did yep. today. Um, sure. But all all the things that have happened stimulus package, but all the moves the Fed has made and continues to make, um, what makes it such a uh, way different this time? Yeah. Yeah. I think the policy approach, what they were trying to do back then is they were increasing government control over the economy, raising taxes, raising the government spending side, raising regulations, trying to do a top down approach towards kind of overseeing and running the government. And they they made a number of policy mistakes, including from the central banks at that time. They had interest rates raised too high and they were seeing deflation. Now, here in the U.S., our inflation of late because of what is going on with energy with those prices moving lower because airlines and hotels have cut costs um, and and restaurants and bars have cut costs and apparel. We are seeing in the short term, we're seeing a a little bit of a decline in inflation, but I don't think that is going to sustain. The policies back then that led to longer term deflation that, that took money out of the private sector and tried to make the full response a government response, historically, internationally, we've seen that that doesn't work. And, and what we've seen already in terms of, you know, trying to support the small and medium-sized businesses, um, some of the things to help keep people on their feet, put money into the system, uh, preventing rates from rising too high, incentivizing uh, the use of some of those funds. Those have been positive in that they blunt the impact of this damage that's coming from the shutdown. But that, at the end of the day, to me, the biggest difference here is that there were fundamental flaws in what was going on within the economy, within the nation back in the late 20s. And this time we did not enter a recession because of a fundamental flaw anywhere on the economic landscape. It was really a response to a a health threat. It's a very different scenario. And as we start to come back from this, the biggest threat out of all of this is how many companies ultimately, again, will be lost as we have this shutdown. Because companies are not prepared. They don't have balance sheets, especially small and medium sized, to plan for two, three months of zero activity. They, they don't, they're not kind of expected to do that because they've never seen a situation like that before. That's going to make this, I, I, I think it's going to take in the next year to get back to where we were, but this is not a, a three, four, five, ten year type thing. And, and I think those fundamentals will start to shine back through as the recovery kind of starts to kick into gear. Okay. That kind of leads me into my, uh, my last question or, or statement. You can elaborate a little bit. Um, moving forward, you know, we came in January, February, like you said, roaring right along. Um, this hits us. Um, uh, what does it look like moving forward? Um, do, do we get back to the, the state that the economy was in and how long does it take? You said not three, four, five, ten 10 years, but uh, what does it look like moving forward a little bit and realizing that, um, when states and governments start to uh, open up the country a little bit, um, people are going to be hanging out more. They're going to be around each other, and maybe we see a little, a little flare-up in the virus again. 
Yeah, and that's going to be a key question. A key question uh, in terms of how long does this recovery take is going to come in how, as we do this reopening process, do we see a flare-up? Now, those antibodies that I mentioned before that make it less likely, we've started to test for those. There's actually been three tests done nationally, one at Stanford, one at USC in, in partnership with the uh, L.A. County, and then another one in, in Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is kind of the epicenter in Massachusetts. And what those numbers showed when they did testing in their communities to try to identify who had the antibodies is that the numbers came in exponentially 30 to 50 times higher than they were expecting. For example, LA County had reported 8,000 just under confirmed cases, and they now believe they had somewhere between 200 and 400,000 cases that actually existed, where symptoms most likely were lower or they didn't have kits available at the time. But if that is true, and it holds as we continue to see more of these tested throughout the country, it does mean that there's a higher percentage of the population that may have a bit of an immunity to seeing a, a re-flare-up. But um, so, so our best guess right now is that we see this decline in, in April, May, start to turn back in June. We think we're going to grow during the second half of this year at about a 4.5% rate. But the decline we're having in Q1, about 3.5% in Q2, where it could reach 20 to 30%, that when you drop 20 to 30% and then you're growing at a 4.5% rate, it's going to take about 18 months to get back to where we were. That number is variable. If we see that progress and we're finding that more people have a built-up immunity and that we're, we're seeing strong progress as we get back out there, it might accelerate a little further. If we see hiccups along the way, I think it could extend a little bit longer. But ultimately, we're going to recover it's just a matter of, of, you know, every single day we know more about the disease. We know more about how many people had it, what the true mortality rate is, and that's going to continue to develop over the next weeks and months. And every, every week we have a better idea of what that path looks like. But end of next year is our expectation right now, based on all the available data, on when the economy will be back producing the same level it was at the end of 2019 coming into this year. Okay, great. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Andrew, I appreciate your time and spend a little time with us. Yeah, thank you. And everyone else, uh, thanks for joining us, and we will chat with you next Friday.